Our Holy Gospel lesson comes to us today from the fourth chapter of St. John, beginning with the fifth verse. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I have ever done. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Won't you join me now, please, in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, we continue to praise you for who you are and thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you have woken us up this morning in our right minds to once again behold the beauty of your creation. Our hearts are anxious and troubled because specifically of this coronavirus that is affecting all of your children worldwide. Lord, we ask that you would have mercy that you would reach down from heaven, that you would pity your people, and that you would heal your nations. Lord, we lift to you now all those who are suffering with this virus. We pray for comfort, healing, and relief from pain. We pray for all those who love them and are caring for them. We pray for all doctors, nurses, caregivers, all of our medical establishment as they seek to do the best they can, oftentimes with limited resources. We ask that you would give us all the wisdom we need for this hour in order to better maintain a situation of calm and peace. Lord, we always need you, but our need for you at this moment is very acute. So we pray that you would be with your people, that you would love us and console us, and use us to be agents of the same for other people. Bless us now, Lord, and speak to us the word that you would have us hear this day. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for this morning is the Gospel lesson, John chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 5 through 42. My sermon title for today is The Business Route, Not the Bypass. The business route, not the bypass. What a story today's gospel lesson is. In this Women's History Month of March, you could do a lot worse than engaging this profound encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman by the well. This famous and eventful account occurs only in John's gospel, nowhere else among the other three, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. As this text opens, Jesus has departed Judea in the south and is heading back home to Galilee in the north, both regions populated by his people, the Jews. But in between the two was a region known as Samaria, populated by Samaritans, a mixed-race people who were at odds with the Jews for varied reasons, too many and complex to delve into here. But suffice it to say, there was a deep and abiding mutual animosity between these two groups. When you have two different racial or ethnic groups of people with different religions and cultural customs living in such close proximity, you see, it comes as no surprise that tensions would flare and conflicts arise. 
It seems to be human nature to define oneself and one's people over and against other types of people, inevitably cherishing one's own background and identity while holding the other, quote unquote, in disdain. Jesus, theoretically, could have avoided Samaria entirely on his way back home to Galilee, taking a more circuitous route. But instead, he chooses to, or feels compelled to, go right through it. The preceding words to the opening of our text this morning read thusly, Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. He took the business route home, as it were, instead of the bypass. And that's good news indeed, not only for these ancient Samaritans, but also for us today in ways that we will hopefully soon acknowledge. For a gospel like John's, which so often emphasizes Jesus' divinity over and beyond his humanity, there are striking references herein to his humanity, to his being susceptible to the weaknesses and needs of human flesh. One such plaintive instance occurs in verse 16, which sets the scene for this entire encounter. Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. Personally, I prefer the older translation here. Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. That's a whole sermon right there, isn't it? Jesus is wearied with his journey. And our weariness, and weariness is a loaded, powerful word. We have a God who took on human flesh and became personally acquainted with our lot in life of feeling weary. A superhuman Messiah who can perform miracles of exorcism and healing and deliverance and multiplying loaves and fish to feed multitudes and turning water into wine, even raising the dead, is acquainted with long, depleting journeys. Knows what it's like to have the weight of the world on one's shoulders. Knows what it's like to have to stop, sit down and rest simply because he is weary. It is, the scripture informs us, about noon. It is an unusual time of the day for a woman to come to the city well to draw water. Normally the women would arrive early in the morning or later, perhaps around dusk, in part to avoid the heat of the day. And during that time, of course, they would socialize, talk with one another, and enjoy the friendship and camaraderie of this necessary daily chore. Our woman here seems to be an outcast. She is not part of the group gathering at the prescribed time. Whether she has self-segregated or whether she has been made to feel unwelcome is up for debate. Regardless, the reason will quickly become apparent. The following counter is ripe with significance. A weary woman meets a weary man. A thirsty woman meets a thirsty man. A lonely woman meets a man who is alone, whose disciples had gone to the city on an errand. A Samaritan meets a Jew. Jesus crosses the social barrier first by asking her for a drink of water. This perplexes her, and she is shocked, taken aback. 
You can almost hear the hesitancy in her voice, eyes looking skittishly around. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? The text then makes clear, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. You know, some social boundaries you just don't cross, particularly involving race, ethnicity, and religion, all of which are at play here because society frowns upon it and then ostracizes the transgressors. So there's a lot of risk going on here. Maybe Jesus would have been better off taking the bypass around and not the business route through. Jesus then, in effect, says that she should be asking him for a drink of water, to which she responds that he has no bucket and the well is deep. He then speaks of something that he calls living water, differentiating it from the well water which she came to draw by saying that her water only quenches and refreshes temporarily and fleetingly while his living water does so permanently, becoming actually a spring of water within someone gushing up to eternal life. In making such a distinction, Jesus is distinguishing between what feeds and nourishes and satisfies permanently versus temporarily. And implicitly then, he critiques our human preference for and our nonstop chasing after the latter. In only two more chapters, he will famously exclaim, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. All of us are well acquainted with the empty and hollow nature of many of our lives' pursuits. Money doesn't bring security. Possessions don't bring satisfaction. Relationships don't last. Friendships fail. Marriages don't yield lifelong happiness. Jobs don't bring joy or fulfillment. Families yield turmoil and disappointment. We can work and work for years and years and still feel empty. We can let that bucket down that well every day of our wearied, lonely lives and be just as thirsty the following day as we were the previous. And so we, like this woman, respond desperately and pleadingly in verse 15, Sir, give us this water that we may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus, give us fulfillment. Give us satisfaction. Give us permanence. Give us eternity. So Jesus says, go. Call your husband and come back. She responds, I have no husband. Is this an assertion of independence? I have no husband. Or of desertion? I have no husband. Or both. And now the underlying reason for her isolation, whether self-imposed or communally imposed, becomes clear. Jesus says, you're right, you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. So you are telling the truth. Sir, this woman responds, I see that you are a prophet. And then a very strange, troubling twist occurs. We Samaritans worship here on this mountain, she says, referring to nearby Mount Gerizim. 
But you, the Jews, say the place people ought to worship is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Say what? Her realization that he is a prophet is followed immediately by her asking him to settle rival religious claims. It is a complete deflection away from her own sin and brokenness. It is a deliberate diversion away from guilt and shame. You are right. You have had five husbands and you're not married to the one you're with now. Sir, you are a prophet. Um, what do you think? We should worship here or in Jerusalem? That's like confronting someone on alcohol or drug abuse and then saying, wow, you got me. Uh, so whom do you like, Carolina or Duke? The Lakers or the Bucks? That's like addressing someone's negative cycles of dysfunction in life and them admitting it and saying, you're pretty perceptive. So how do you perceive um, the Second Amendment or the immigration issue? Jesus took the business route straight to Samaria, straight to Sychar, straight to this woman, straight to her issue. Not the bypass around them all. The woman takes the bypass around her past, around her five failed marriages, around her pain and ostracism, around her humiliation and low self-esteem. She exits off the business route. Why, I wonder. Because it would hurt too much? Because there's too much guilt and shame? She already feels like a failure. She already has to come to the well at noon, deliberately avoiding all those who inevitably think the worst of her. No one plans to get married five or six times. Why would she marry this fellow? that she's with now to further invite belittling gossip on her best efforts. It is so much easier for us as human beings to withdraw, to avoid, to circle the wagons, to crawl under a rock and just not deal with the microscope, the likes of which Jesus carries and really only reveals what we already know, that we are a failure. So let's talk instead about whether we should worship in Samaria or Jerusalem. Should it be traditional liturgy or contemporary praise and worship? High church or low church? Hymns or gospel music? Formal or informal? Drums and guitars or handbells and an organ? 9 a.m. Sunday morning worship or 11 a.m. Sunday morning worship? The last thing I want to talk about or even reflect on it all is the business route through my own heart, through my own sin, my own moral failures, whatever they may be. So I opt for the bypass around all of that so that I can be distracted by matters of secondary importance. So how does Jesus respond to this woman's deflection and sidestepping? He replies, in essence, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter a whit, Samaria or Jerusalem. What does matter instead is not where you worship, but how you worship. True worshipers, he says, worship God in spirit and truth. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus refuses to take the bait of pronouncing judgment on, in his eyes, such an unimportant dispute. Instead, he remains focused on what is life-giving and ultimately 
most important, worshiping God in spirit and truth. Now, that means different things to different people, depending on how you define spirit and how you define truth. But part of what that means, I believe, is taking the business route and not the bypass and allowing God to take the business route with you and not the bypass. The business route is that God sees your sin and knows it. He is well aware of your missteps and lapses and he loves you anyway. He forgives your sins and frees you from their grip and claim. He loves you unconditionally and he wants you to live and love and hope and dream unhindered and unencumbered by guilt, shame, and the judgment of others. The business route, as always, is at the right time Christ died for the weak and the ungodly. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they are all justified by His grace as a gift. God's anger is but for a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let Him who is without sin be the one who casts the first stone. That's the business route. Interestingly enough, neither Jesus nor this Samaritan woman gets what they came for in this story. The weary and fatigued Jesus never gets his drink of water, nor food apparently. This woman leaves her water jar in verse 28 and returns to the city without that which was the purpose for her journey. But they both have gained so much more. She has gained him. And he has gained her. A whole town converts because of one forgiven sinner. She is convicted of her sin and then forgiven. She is freed of its burden. Because of her testimony, a testimony no doubt greeted initially with skepticism and cynicism on the part of townsfolks from whom she was estranged, many came to believe. And then they go from believing in Jesus because of her testimony to their own experience of him. Faith often starts out, you see, as a second-hand story, but it can quickly become a first-hand discovery. I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, Job said to God at the end of his book, but now my own eye sees thee. In just a couple of years from this text, this Jesus who is weary and thirsty about noon, will once again have a day where it will be about noon. And he will say again, ironically, I thirst. He will be on the cross. And do you know why? He will still be taking the business route. He will not bypass or avoid suffering and rejection, but no, he will journey straight through it. He will not bypass Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, but he will journey through the heart of it. He will take the business route straight through Annas and Caiaphas's Sanhedrin, Herod's questioning, and Pilate's judgment seat. 
He will not bypass Gethsemane's foreboding garden, but he will take the business route straight through a prayer of blood, sweat, and anguish whose tortured words were, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He will not bypass being whipped and scourged and mocked and taunted, but he will take the business route through Golgotha's windswept hill and Calvary's murderous mount. He will not duck nor dodge the crown of thorns, the nails driven through his wrists and feet, the sword through his side, and the opportunity to forgive precisely the ones who did it. He will not take the bypass route of coming down from the cross and calling twelve legions of angels to wreak vengeance and havoc upon his enemies. No, he took the business route straight through a brutally slow, suffocating death. Just like the verse prior to our text this morning says, but he had to go through sicker, he had to go through Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. He had to go through Samaria just as assuredly as he had to go through sacrificing his own life. He had to go through Sychar just as he had to go through death so that he might destroy him who has the power of death. And just like he went through Sychar, Samaria for that one unnamed woman, so too he is going through Raleigh, North Carolina today for you and for me. He had to go through it because of his great and overwhelming and undying love for us. But the story doesn't end there. He had to go through death in order to be resurrected. He had to go through burial in order to be raised to new life. He had to go through that sealed off tomb in order that one day it might be known as the empty tomb. He had to ascend to heaven to take his seat at the right hand of God his Father. He had to sit there in order still to intercede for us today. And he had to go away that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, might come. He had to take the business route, my friends, because that's where we are. And he came to get us, and he did. Praise God. The business route, not the bypass. The business route. Not the bypass. Amen.